With Josh Helmer, I'm Chris Plank. Let's hit up the Riverwind Casino hotline. We're joined by our good friend Eric Lopez, who covers all things UCF. But for those familiar with the program, Eric has a very successful softball podcast in the circle. And we're in the midst of fall ball, ELO. So it's like double, I, I guess we can hit a, a, a two birds with one stone. Is that analogy still allowed? How you doing, man? How's football season and fall ball treating you? I am doing good, Chris. It was funny. I woke up, obviously got a message from you, Dot Richardson, and UCF head coach Cindy Ball Malone. So I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Is this, do we fast forward the calendar here? What are we doing? I I love me Dot Richardson, man. How great is she? Uh, so real quick, because we had the we had the battle series last night. You know, if OU is obviously unique, and you don't see a lot of teams really play challenging games in the fall. But, Eric, what a potential season we have on tap with the Jordy Ball impact in Nebraska, the final year of college softball as we know it. The Pac-12 yep. is is going away, and this will be its last year. I mean, it's kind of wild when you think about how that impacts the sport of softball. It really is. I mean, right, with all the talk of conference realignment and, and all sports, I mean, softball certainly is in the middle. They're impacted. And you're right, the, the final year of the Pac-12, the conference that for many years identified softball, that's going to be bizarre. But then, you know, Chris, Big 12, it's going to be fascinating with Oklahoma right. and Texas in their last year. And then you got arrivals from the new members like BYU, Houston, and UCF. Uh, who returns a lot of the players, Chris, that are very familiar from that super regional team two years ago when Oklahoma beat UCF. You're going to, when they play late, uh, you know, during the season, there'll be a lot of familiar faces on both sides. So uh, I think the Big 12 is going to have an incredible year in softball because uh, UCF, I think, they, they, you know, it's funny you make up fall ball. They play their first fall ball game tomorrow in delay, and I'm going to be traveling there to watch the team because there's a lot of buzz within the program that this might be their best team yet that they've had. Uh, and you saw the 22 team. So uh, I'm excited. Softball is going to be a heck of a year. It's going to be unique because, uh, like you mentioned, it'll be the last year as we know it, and then the following year. And this, you can say this for all the sports, football included. After this year, it's gonna everything's gonna be like what? Like what? What conference are we? Uh, it's gonna be unique after this year. <laughs> Definitely gonna be a challenge, man. Definitely gonna be a challenge to figure out. Okay, who's where? Who's <laughs> which team is here? Yeah. Which team is there? But it's gonna be uh, once we get used to it next year, it's gonna be fun. But this year, well, I say this year, this coming season is gonna be really awesome. All right, um, I, I'll, I'll wrap with a softball question. I'll, I'll go full circle, a circle here. We'll do that. What Stuart Griffin calls the compliment sandwich. I'll finish with softball. We've got to get to football. What have you made of year one for UCF and the Big 12? Should be a one and two team in conference play. Should be four and two overall. Uh, that Baylor game is still a mind bleep in my in my opinion. But what have you made of the way that Gus Malzahn has tackled his third season but the team's first in the Big 12? Well, I think you described the Baylor game very well. I think that's really the one that really has turned this season in a negative connotation. Uh, I was there. That was the first home game hosting the Big 12. They're dominating up 35-7, and then it all just kind of fell apart at the end, and they lost the game. And that carried over, I think, to the Kansas game. I think that played a role in the Kansas debacle. Now, John Rice Plumley will be back this weekend. He's Supposedly they say he's healthy. We'll see. You know, he said he was cleared and, and healthy two weeks ago against Kansas, and he left the game early with an injury, uh, not looking healthy, although they said there was nothing wrong. Uh, you know, it's been weird because 
you know, the defense, for example, the defensive line prior to the you know season was hyped as being the strength of the defense. Well, they've struggled. They haven't been able to stop the run. They've averaged giving up over 300 yards on the ground, uh, which has been concerning. So I think people are wondering how this team is going to come out after the bye week, after a really a rough five quarters when you go back to the Baylor fourth quarter and then the whole Kansas game. I think if they would have held on to the Baylor game, Chris, and be four and two and coming out, I think people would say, wow, this is Gruden great. This is going very well according to plan. Uh, but that Baylor game has left a lot of bad taste in a lot of the fans' mouths, and it's going to be interesting to see how they come out uh, this Saturday. What's the biggest difference that you see between the UCF offense with John Rice Plumley and how it operated with Timmy McClain? Because I was really impressed with him. I think Timmy McClain, what we've learned, is a better deep thrower. Uh, I think the vertical game is more of an option there than with John Rice. But John Rice is a better runner, uh, more talented runner, more athletic. Uh, He's more assertive in his decisions, whereas Timmy's more hesitant on his decisions. I mean, there's times where Timmy McClain holds on to the ball too long and is running backwards and steps out of bounds instead of just throwing out a ba- you know, the ball away. Uh, some of that could be maybe lack of reps, some of that, you know, whatever the reason is. Whereas John Rice, you know, John Rice Plumley up until he got hurt at Boise State, was playing much improved from last year. His passes were better. His decision-making was better. Uh, he's a playmaker. Like, Oklahoma is going to have to plan for him because he's a weapon, and I would expect him to be used a lot if he's healthy, if he's 100% healthy. And that's critical, Chris, because they, he has to be close to 100% because his legs are very important. Not that he can't pass and everything, but he's not a guy that can be less than 100% and just beat you from the pocket. He will not beat you from the pocket. But what he can do is beat you rolling out, run pass option. Uh, that's the difference. I think he's more experienced. He's got that leadership quality that I think Timmy just doesn't have yet. I think if Timmy McClain does come into the game, I think your sec- the secondary has to be careful because he can hit those big, deep passes to the talented receiver, uh, receiving core that UCF has there. So I think those are the differences between Timmy McClain and John Rice Plumley. Mm. What's, um, gosh, there's so many things with this team that fascinates me, and I, and I mean this in a good way. It appears as if, right, and I, I think you could back this up, Gus has given up play calling this year, last couple of years, right? This past, this year, uh, he yeah. hired uh, Darren Hinshaw, former UCF quarterback alum. Darren Hinshaw is the offense coordinator in calling the plays. Now, it's worth noting, as has been described, he's calling Gus's playbook. Right. So it's still Gus's offense, but Darren's calling the plays. And then there's a new look on the defensive side of things, a new – uh, def- not not a new coach, but a new defensive coordinator. Randy Shannon moves on to Florida State over the last few years. So with that in mind, how different has it looked to you? As someone who has watched all three seasons closely, has it been much different from the, the two new play callers? Well, I think let's start. I mean, you mentioned the defensive side. Addison Williams is, was promoted. This is his first year calling defensive plays in the Division One level. He took over for Travis Williams, who went to Arkansas. Travis That's right. took over for Randy Shannon, who went to Florida State. So there's been a lot of turnover there. And I think that's one of the things we've learned about this defense is I think there's some missing holes. The linebacking core is thin. 
because they've lost guys through the portal. If Tatum Bethune, for example, who's at Florida State, uh, you know, John uh, Baptiste, who's at Ole Miss. So they really, I don't think they've replaced the linebacking core. They've added some transfers that just haven't worked out. Uh, they had an injury to Ricky Barber on the defensive line that's hurt him a little bit. But I think we've learned that they don't have that marquee player. They don't have a Shaquem Griffin. They don't have a Richie Grant type on the defense. I don't think the play calling's been that different. If anything, it's probably been too simplified. <clears throat> I think some people have complained about that. But I just think they don't have the defensive talent personnel right now, and I think they're getting pushed around. Offensively, I definitely have seen an upgrade on the quarterback. I think the quarterbacks are much more prepared, much more uh, better mechanically, and that's a credit to Darren Hinshaw. You know, the play calling, there's been some chatter about that because there's been some plays, like in the Baylor game, there was a critical third down play where UCF went with the Wildcat formation, and I think the thinking was that that was more of a Gus call play call than a Darren Hinshaw play call. That hasn't been confirmed, but there's been rumblings about that, that Gus will still chime in and call certain plays, like a lot of coaches, head coaches would do, by the way. But I, So I think, no. Offensively, I don't know if we've seen too much of a difference as far as the style. UCF still wants to go fast. If they can, in fact, they're faster. I think they're in the top 25 as far as pace is concerned offensively. So uh, I, I don't think there's a drastic difference from Gus from that standpoint. I think defensively, though, they are not as strong as they've been, and that's why they've struggled as they have. Is it, to you, in your opinion, and Eric Lopez joins us, covers UCF, uh, in, in your opinion, Eric, is it more scheme or is it more just having the buy? You, you kind of hit it on the head, right? The linebackers haven't been what they thought they would be out of the portal. So is it just more the bodies, or do you think there are some schematic things that need to be adjusted defensively to do a better job stopping the run, where, as you pointed out, they've really struggled this year? I think it's a combination of both. I definitely think the Mm. personnel is lacking, especially at the linebacking core. Uh, They have been exposed. That's one thing. Since UCF's played in the Big 12 games against Kansas State, Baylor, Kansas, everybody has attacked those linebackers. On the, whether it be on the running game or in the passing game. And I think that's the concern this weekend. I would expect Jeff Levy and company over there to kind of ex- continue to expose those linebackers that just aren't good enough, uh, in my opinion. But part of it is scheme, too. Some people think that they haven't adjusted as much. You know, they don't like to put a lot of guys in the box. They haven't done that. We'll see if they do that more moving forward to help the running game. Some people think that's, you know, Addison being as young as he is as a, as a defense quarter. And, he, and a credit to him. In the, in the media availabilities, he's taken ownership of that. He says, you know, I can do mm-hmm. a better job of some of the play calls and putting the players in better position. It's one thing I do like about this staff. They will look at themselves first. They're not just going to throw players under the bus. So I think it's a learning curve for Addison, uh, as you would expect it as a first-year play caller on the defensive side. Uh, I think that's a factor. We'll see if they adjust some more. But I do think personnel is a factor on that defensive side of the ball as far as the, the lack of a, you know, the talent level. What's made the run game so good? I, I love watching these running backs. The quarterback threat is obviously omnipresent, but what, in your opinion, has made their running attack, their rushing attack so good? Well, their offensive line's played very well. Uh, I think they just actually, Herb Hand, the offensive line coach, has done a great job. They feel they have the most depth in the offensive line that they've had in the Gus era. Uh, I would, you know, they actually got acknowledged this week by one of the you know, awards, about who awards best offensive lines in the country. They were recognized for that. But the running backs are talented. That's by far their strength of the roster. R.J. Harvey's a talented running back. Was a transfer out of Virginia. 
You got Johnny Richardson, who I think a lot of Nike fans actually feel he should get the ball more. He is explosive and fast. So they have a lot of versatility in that running game with the running backs. Plus, if John Rice Plumlee's healthy, he's a part of the running game, kind of like Dylan Gabriel has been with Oklahoma, Chris. It's very similar in that regard. So that's going to be fascinating to see if UCF can get that running game going early. One of the problems they ran into in Kansas, they fell behind so much that they kind of like dug themselves this huge hole and they couldn't really control tempo as far as the pay, you know, time of possession. That's one thing they've struggled because they've fallen behind early in these big 12 games. They're, they're the time of possession has been an issue. Like in the Baylor game, they only had one possession of over four minutes in a drive and that caught up with them because that hurts the defense. It goes back to that complimentary football. So that's to me for them to have a chance this Saturday and finish strong in the second half. This is a run first offense, no matter what Gus says. Gus loves the running game, loves to be physical, going up tempo. That's the strength of this team. When this team is clicking, they're burning you with big bursts in the running game with 10, 20 yards with guys like Richardson and R.J. Harvey uh, leading the way. Eric, one final thought on, on the football side of things before we wrap with a little softball. How is Dylan Gabriel, and then I don't know – if, if there is certain thoughts about Jeff Levy. But, I mean, how is Dylan Gabriel remembered amongst UCF fans? And what kind of is the, the thoughts around Levy and the job he did while he was there with Coach Heupel? Well, I wrote about this on uh, blackandgoldbanneret.com. This was the game UCF fans circled. All from uh. when the schedule came out, this was the game they circled. Their first reaction was like, man, I wish this would have been in Orlando. That would have been <laughs> fascinating to see the Dylan Gabriel reaction because it ended not great. From the standpoint, he got injured in his first year with Gus in his 2021 season, hurt his clavicle uh, collarbone in the Louisville game. Uh, There was a lot of belief within the program that he would be back at that end of the year. They even had an ESPN Plus show where they even discussed that. He did not, which, you know, he took that. It allowed him to, you know, redshirt. He he announced his red – he was transferring the day after they beat South Florida, which I think rubs some fans the wrong way. Uh, Ironically, if it wasn't for that injury, he wouldn't be playing this year. And this game wouldn't be – they wouldn't be playing UCF, ironically enough. He wouldn't be playing. So it's interesting. Jeff Levy was a guy that – there was a lot of Knight fans that – and players, including Gabriel, were pushing to take over for Josh Heupel in 2021 when Josh Heupel left for Tennessee – but there were some in the administration that were not comfortable with the backstory of Jeff Levy, obviously, with the situation with Art Bryles and Baylor. So he didn't get the head coaching job. But they, they liked him, and there are still people at UCF that like Jeff Levy. Uh, and it, it's going to be an interesting storyline with Gabriel and Levy. I know they've all said the right things this week. A lot of fans are going to uh, – this is – of all the road games this year, Chris, this is the mm-hmm. one where UCF fans are going to travel the most. Uh, this is the now they're not as confident or excited as they were maybe a few weeks ago because they're a little concerned of what might happen, but they're excited by that. Uh, but yeah, there's mixed feelings. I don't think there's a unfortunately it's a fond feeling. And remember, Chris, that's when the portal and the NIL and all that was just starting. Yeah. And I don't think college yeah. we just didn't. It's not as you know routine as it is now. So I think Dylan was kind of a, a, a guilty of that. That he was kind of the first major player to leave UCF, and I think has rubbed UCF fans the wrong way. So. You know, plus he was following Mackenzie Milton, who's one of the most popular nights ever. So uh, not the most positive theme 
That's why a lot of people wonder what would have happened if this game was in Orlando. It would have been much more fascinating. But, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. But people do like uh, – Levy was, again, kind of mixed uh, would, hmm. would be the way I would describe it. I, I would say the – I don't remember if it was, was you or, or someone over someone else that I talked to, Eric, but one of the things they said whenever Dylan first came here was, at least amongst Knight fans, there was some concern that – Maybe Dylan Gabriel was more about the brand and the NIL than he was yeah. about football. And like you said, that's just it was a, it sounds wild to say it was three years ago, but it was a different time. But it really truly was, right? Yeah. I mean it was a different time. Totally different. We just didn't <laughs> we didn't comprehend all of this. No. And plus you had guys that had an extra year and stuff and you know, remember Dylan didn't come to UCF to play for Gus Malzahn. Gus inherited him and everything like that. So yeah, yeah all that was criticism. It was interesting, too. Could he win that big game and all that? That's why it was significant, that drive against Texas. I, you know, posted on social media when that happened. That's the biggest drive of his career uh, because up until that point, he didn't have a signature win. That was some of the other – what's fascinating, I think, to UCF fans is that he's the way he's running the ball because he didn't run at UCF. And people wondered, was that because Josh Heupel didn't want him to run or whatever? And so it's been fascinating to see him and how he's evolved as a player. Uh, yeah, I could not agree with you more. All right, Elo, we've taken a lot of your time. Um, before we before we let you go, though, I, I can't leave without a softball question. I'm, I'm assuming, now I'm a homer, but I'm assuming Oklahoma is going to be the preseason number one with the addition yeah. of Maxwell, even though they lost Jordy Ball. Who do you see as some teams that are that are there? Who are some teams we need to be keeping an eye on that have either loaded up in the portal, had big recruiting classes? I mean, do you see Nebraska as a team that's going to be knocking on the door of Oklahoma City? Who should we be keeping an eye on outside of uh, as far as contenders for the crown? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma will be number one. Uh, despite, obviously, I mean, Carly Keeney out three months. Uh, yeah. Should be back for the season, right, Chris? He should be, should yeah. be good. Okay, so – that's, that's a key factor. I know everybody's going to focus on Maxwell, uh, but Carly Keeney's pretty good, too. So I think that's a key name to watch from the Super. But, yeah, that'll be number one with all the personnel. They come back. Stanford. Stanford, without mm. question, I think is number two. That's the biggest threat, in my opinion, to Oklahoma there for the national title. You saw them up close, Chris, in Oklahoma yeah. City, what they're capable of. I know they lose Elena Vaughter to South Carolina, but they have talent on the, on the arms. They added this big bat in Kern from Indiana. I think Stanford is the team to watch as far as if you're saying, well, who can potentially knock Oklahoma off and win the national title? It's Stanford. I think those are the two best teams coming into the season. Uh, after that, I think there's still some questions. I think Oklahoma State has a lot of questions losing Maxwell. I think Texas might be the second best team. They return a lot from last year. And I'm telling you, I'm not saying this just because I call their games and cover, but I, there's a lot of confidence within this UCF team. This is the Good. they have a ton of depth in their arms. They return that offense with Jada Cody and Chloe Evans and company. They feel they can make some noise. I think the Big 12, I'm telling you, can be the number one conference this year in college softball. It has a chance to have four, five teams in the top 25. Remember Baylor, how well they played last year is pretty yeah. good too there. So, and a lot of the teams in the Big 12 is getting stronger and stronger. Obviously, you got the usual suspects. Florida State uh, is going to be fascinating. Nebraska, you mentioned, obviously, Jordy Ball. They're the favorites in the Big Ten. But do they have enough around her will be fascinating. I mean, she's hitting over there. Yeah. Chris, I mean, she's hitting like leadoff. And I was like, whoa, that's a little, it's a little different. Um, so, yeah, I think Nebraska will be up there. There will be a lot of hype for them. Uh, UCLA is very young. We'll see how they look. Washington's another one to watch. Washington's a team that I like a lot uh, as well. So 
those are probably the teams to watch as we get to the softball season. Am I going to get to come see you? What are you thinking? Have you heard yes. anything on the Big 12 schedule? I, uh, okay. I have a very good feeling that we will good. see each other during the softball season. I have a feeling yeah. uh, uh, I can't. I will not give it away because I don't want to get in trouble. But uh, yes, we will. <laughs> let's just say you'll be uh, you'll you I will be uh, I will be definitely showing you some some stuff. Good. I'm, I'm excited about that, Eric. Well, hey man, it made my day to to hear that you could come on. Uh, thank you for all the time you gave us. You mentioned a website. Where can people read your work, Eric? I, I don't promote it enough. Blackandgoldbanneret.com. That's where I have an article on the Dylan Gabriel Jeff Levy storyline against uh, Oklahoma. We do a post game show after every football game. I'll be hosting that this Saturday. You know, I can't do softball all the time, Chris. I right. cover other stuff. Uh, <laughs> we, we cover all the Olympic sports there. Then the NBA season gets going next week, so i got to wear that hat starting next week as well. So this is now we're starting to get busy here with fall ball, football still going on, and the NBA about to start here. But it's, it's a good problem to have. Blackandgoldbanneret.com. Eric, thanks for your time, buddy. You're the best. We'll talk soon. You too, Chris. Anytime. Love that, dude. I mean, we got a little bit of everything there, Josh Helmer, right? We got a little bit we got a little bit on Lebs and DG. We got a little bit on the matchup. We got a little bit on the constant evolution of the defense at UCF and got a lot of softball too. Huh. I think if well let's let's talk real quick just on that schedule side of things. Because we've started to put it together. Oklahoma's gonna open in twenty twenty three uh twenty twenty four doesn't look like it's going to be in the Mark Campbell this year, but I don't know what the Mark Campbell is going to look like. That makes any sense. Uh, that might be the following weekend. That could be somewhere other than Los Angeles. But it looks like they're opening the season in Puerto Vallarta again this year. So going to Mexico for the first time. I say again this year. So it was 17, 20, and 24. Yeah, so, you know, we went the year, got shut down by COVID. And now we're going back here in 24. So that's awesome. And it sounds as if we're going to start, from what I've heard, league play two weeks earlier than they have in the past. Of the four new teams that have entered the Big 12, three of the four play softball. So instead of only having seven of ten members that play softball, you now have, what would that be, ten of 14 with TCU, Kansas State, Cincinnati, and West Virginia don't play softball. So it... It's going to be interesting to see how they work that schedule for the final year in the Big 12. Quick break. We'll react to Eric Lopez next right here on The Ref. We'll get more of your reactions to Eric Lopez joining us on the show to preview not just UCF on Saturday, but obviously he's got a great softball mind too. So uh, 405-651-3439 if you want to react. Uh, Gary Cavins comes sliding in. What's going on, Gary? Hey, how are you, Chris? So where we hang on a Thursday Caven's disaster response. All right, let's talk some football real quick. Are you going to go Saturday morning, or are you going to be on call all day? I'm going to watch it on okay. Saturday. Okay. Got kind of a, got, I'm in Dallas all day tomorrow for training, so i got to get up in the morning and drive down to Dallas, and then i got to drive back after the training. makes for a very long day. So I, I told Jessica I wanted to watch it at the house. Don't blame you. Don't blame you. Plus, he, uh, hopefully, well, you never know. You could be in the middle of a relaxing day, and all of a sudden that phone can ring. And you're ready to go because 100%. that's what Cavens is all about. You might kick your feet up. You might have a, I don't know, your dr- beverage of choice, Dr. Pepper, water, whatever it is. And someone might say, we have a problem. And guess what? Gary's there. Game day or not. I tell you a story. This happened many, a few uh, about four years ago. I, uh, Me and Jessica had bought a new house. And um, 
you know, and we were moving in. And uh, so we got all moved in. We got everything set. And I was going to bed. And the phone rang. <laughs> and it was Sooner Bowl, Bowling calling. And they a car had ran into the bowling center and hit one of the structural posts. And it was, uh, so I had to go out there. So, like, I would literally just got in bed. I was just gotten to sleep. Boom, I was up. I was mm-hmm. going. So, I mean, we just never know when that phone's going to ring. And it's always at the most inconvenient times, <laughs> but, I which promise is, you. But, but it's fine. That's what it's you fine. do. That's what we do. I'll tell you, the worst, though, is when you're getting ready. You've, been, you've worked a full day. Right. And you're getting ready to go to bed. And then the phone rings, and then it's just like you're working until uh-huh. the next midday. So it's just like constant. Um, but, you know, we do it all the time. It doesn't bother guys. It doesn't bother me. That's what we're here to do is to help. And and we should point out, you, that's why you have so 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 much of a – that's why you have so many good crews, so many good workers that have been trained. Uh, it's not like you're having a guy work three days without sleep. you got no, crews. That's Gary Cavins, right? That's yes. Gary that'll do that. <laughs> yes, that But happens. you've got crews that are highly trained. In fact, I thought I always think it's really cool whenever I'll get in sometimes, I'll hear you over the speaker. It's like, all right, Johnny, all right, get, get the truck going, Tom. Get moving, and then I'll I'll see them driving out, and it's just it's like they they all know their responsibilities, and it's just part of that communication to super serve the customer, isn't it? It is 100. percent It's it's really important the communication. The guys know what they're doing, and that's why we invest so much time in training and development, so that when they hit that job site, um, hit that uh, storm damage, flood, fire, mold, crime scene, uh, structural damage, they know exactly what to do as soon as they get there. What um. It, it's interesting to me because I see I see it right. I see the investment. I can walk uh, you know 100 feet from here and walk back in. I do call the garage area where we have everything stored. What was it in your mind that said, okay, let's 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 kind of really focus on this when it comes to structural drying, when it comes to mold removal, when it comes to fire uh, cleanup? What was it in Gary Cavins and the Cavins group that said, all right, this is what we need to be. This is how we can best serve our community. It's two parts. Um, part one is um, I really enjoy it. That's um, good. I think it is uh, an interesting. Um, it's an interesting deal, and I, I'm always, I'm always, you know, I'm always enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And that's something you know I've done this long enough that, you know, after COVID and everything, I said to Jessica, I want to do something I want to enjoy, and that's why we've gone into the disaster response. But the second part is. You know, when I was younger, I could care less about learning new stuff. Like, I just wanted to move on. I, you had I, your I, I didn't care about, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, floated through high school, a little bit of college, you know, you, you know, just didn't. But now I really enjoy learning. And that's the other part of it, because this is a huge deal of learning. You can't just go out there and do this. You have to spend hours upon hours and hours training and developing to just know what to do, to teach your guys what to do. Um and so, you know, we, I spend so much time. To, I've, I've been, I think this week alone, I've sit between, since Saturday, I've spent about 18 hours training this week alone. Unreal. Unreal. And so, you're going to add more tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to go full day in <laughs> Dallas tomorrow for a, a whole different deal. Um, it's instru- uh, to go over, you know, insurance supplements and um, um, just different paperwork <laughs> and different building codes and all kinds of things with um there but that's you know and that's part of my thing too is like i'm not just learning the contractor side i make sure that i learn 
the insurance side too. So I'm learning both sides. I'm not a public adjuster, right? but I am a guy that wants to understand how everything goes together so that I can help my clients. Because if I don't know how everything goes together and I don't know both sides of the ball, then I can't help my clients fully. And that's really important to me to be full circle. Um, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that's a really big part of our training and development here at Cavens. And even Jessica VT has been in class for the last two days. She's in class today. She's getting ready to close out. Lindsay was in class three days last week. Um, so, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not just me training and develop. It's, it's my team, too, uh, that's to surround me that was so that we can help our clients. Amanda told me it was nothing personal. Or not Amanda. Uh, <laughs> Lindsay told me it was nothing personal, and she shut the door on me last week, so that made me feel a little better. Uh, well, when you talk about the training side of it, you know, you, uh, understanding every single aspect of it, right, Gary? That's that's kind of – not kind of. That's what you're all about, from understanding, okay, this is what you're going to need to do when you file it, but more importantly, this is what I'm going to do whenever we first start in the drawing process, and this is the process of, you know, just making sure that we're doing – a complete job. I mean, if that makes any sense at all, you're going to make sure that it's not just, all right, we kind of got it. You're good to go. You're going to make sure that the job's done to the best of its ability. A hundred percent. That's what we're here to do. We're here to give, you know, uh, we're here to consult. We're here to uh, rectify the issue and make sure it doesn't happen again and get the businesses back to doing business as quickly as possible. And, you know, that's the most important thing for us is we want to get in there, get it done get businesses back open open and we can move extremely fast here at Cavens um, uh, insurance companies sometimes get mad at us because we move so fast but we document mm -hmm. as we go and that's part of that training so as soon as they're mad at us they get unmad at us because we have all the documentation to back up everything we did <laughs> but you know we understand the fact that if your business is down you're not making money Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be back up as quickly as possible. And one thing that I've noticed in this industry over the years is insurance will drag it out as long as possible. They want to keep that money in their bank account. But at the same time, you know, you can bankrupt a business doing that. Now, insurance companies don't care. They're big, greedy corporations. But here at Cavens, we do care. We want to work with you and get your business back open as quickly as possible after a crime has happened, storm damage has happened, a mold outbreak, a fire, or water, uh, you know, any kind of the, a pipe break or any kind of flood issue with water. We understand that. We understand you need to get back to business. We understand you need to keep your business open and running so you're profitable. And that's where it goes back to what we were just talking about, about understanding both sides and having a full understanding um, of what needs to be done to make sure everybody's on the same page. And we also have other, you know, other people that can help, too. We have public adjusters we work with. We have law, law firms we work with, too, because sometimes some insurance co companies just are greedy, mm -hmm. um, but not all of them. A uh, majority of them out there are out there to help you, take care of you, to understand you, but there are some big insurance corporations out there that are just greedy. And I can't say them on the air, but if you ever want to call me privately, <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly who not to use for insurance. 405-573-3048. And, again, that reminder, uh, I see Chris grinding away, the roofing side of it. Yes. You're staying very busy there. Roofing and maintenance. Maintenance. They're here to help 24-7. Chris has spent a lot of time down in Tuttle, Blanchard, Newcastle area recently. Um, you know, and, and – um, we, you know, we service the whole state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. We're licensed in Kansas. We're licensed in Arkansas. We serve North Texas. So we're just 
here to help uh, you in any way we can. And then the maintenance side, you know, commercial doors, painting, drywall, flooring, whatever commercially maintenance-wise you have a problem with, electrical, heating, and air, plumbing, our maintenance team can come out there and help you, and they do a excellent job. Uh, whether you're in Tulsa, you're in Oklahoma City, you're in Ardmore, you're in Norman, Edmond, wherever you're at, Stillwater, our maintenance team can help you. Yeah, man. Gary, thanks, buddy. Thank I you, Any, anything I left out that we need to make sure we add? I think we, we have to... something new coming. Oh, I, now, do you want to announce it? Let's, we can go ahead and start okay, talking okay. about it. Still, we're still working out all the kinks on it, mm-hmm. but here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a new program called Mold-Free Building. Okay. And what Mold-Free Building is, is it's basically when you build a new home or a new commercial structure or a new commercial ward structure, we're going to come in, we're going to consult on it, and we're going to let you know what needs to be done to prevent mold and what needs to be done if those wood, those wood components or those components of your home, new home being built or your new um, apartment complex being built, if they're wet, they're going to mold, we're going to tell you how to resolve that and treat it and take care of it. That's great. So it's getting ahead of the ball because a lot of builders, buildings are built fast now, and a lot of the times in Oklahoma we get rain, we get snow, we get other things. The building components get wet. You close up mold into the walls, and then that building has a mold issue down the wall, down the down the road. Mm-hmm. And that can be a lot more expensive dealing with it on the back end than dealing with it on the front end. So this is something that we've come up with that we're excited to uh, have in the works that we're going to be moving forward on here pretty quickly in the next couple of weeks. Can't wait to learn more about it. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. That's Gary Cavins. We spend every Thursday here at Cavins. Disaster Response Group, cavensgroup.com, 405-573-3048. Thanks, Gary. That's awesome. All right, uh, we'll get back to some OU, UCF talk next right here on The Ref. Hey, Josh, I did have one little personal note that I wanted to share that involves all of y'all in a roundabout way. The, and I don't think who would mind me mentioning this, but like the confirmation of, hey, you're uh you still want to vote? You still a Heisman voter went out. So the process begins over the next couple of weeks of either weeding out and or replacing voters. I've, I've often said, and I know that, you know, I'm, I'm really, really, I'm really, I'm really proud to be a Heisman voter. Okay. I mean, just, you can make fun of me. You can say, there's a thousand of you. Don't care. Don't care. Uh, for some reason, it's something like my mom and my dad are excited about it. Even at 48, that matters to me. Like my kids even. It's like it's a big deal. And I, But I've often said, Josh, I do feel like there's too many voters, right? There's way too many voters. And in that, you know, probably a lot of people that don't pay attention as much as they, as they should. There's other people where I'm like, I don't know how that guy has a Heisman ballot because he's always tweeting about a Netflix show whenever the game's on. Or... I can remember there was a guy that I, about 10 years ago, triggered me so bad. He's like, just turned in my Heisman ballot, and it was like November 15th. It's like, what are you doing? They're like, dude, what do you do? Stop. Don't post that. Remind me, you can, when's the, the last moment you can submit it? It's after conference championship week now? That's right. Usually it's the Monday. It's a Monday, like, noon central time because now it's all you do it online and it's you know back in the day you'd have to mail it back in which was why they had opened the portal so early when you could start voting and people would it would take longer right because it was snail mail now it's 
they don't even open the voting process until I think the week of the championship games. Like the early voting problem that people would have, which I understand, you don't want to forget about it, but the early voting that people would have, I mean, it's just, it's no longer an issue, right? So I guess maybe my point more than anything else is, we're getting there, peeps. Now, unfortunately, that signals nearing the end of the season, but the process of confirming Heisman voters is in full swing. I'd like it if uh, they wouldn't open it until after all the conference championship games uh, were played. Ooh, okay. So, in your opinion, that Monday, instead of that Monday after the conference championship games being the deadline to vote, that's when it opens. And then let's just say that deadline for getting it in is that Wednesday. I mean, do you, you're thinking, if you're a voter, I would hope you're thinking about it nonstop. Right? You're thinking about, okay, who's in, I like seeing this guy. I like seeing, like, I got six guys right now in my conversation for, for guys who I think are Heisman Trophy candidates. And I can't tell you who I'm voting for, but in those six guys, I would assume most, I would assume most people have about that, maybe, maybe even seven or eight. But my point is, like, you don't need three weeks to figure this out. Right, you can open that portal up, and people can start voting the Monday after the championship, and you don't need like three more days to think about it. It's kind of like the actual transfer portal itself. <laughs> Why is it open for a month and a half? You know if you're going somewhere, right? Um, that's a good point, Josh. Now, here here would be my counter to it, and I'm, and maybe this was something that helped win a Heisman Trophy for Kyler Murray. Do you worry about people knee jerking too much to something that happens over conference championship weekend? Maybe. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's a strong counter argument that one bad performance there and all of a sudden somebody loses the Heisman when really maybe they should have won it. Right. But right. Uh, it can also be that final push to sure. win some, somebody the Heisman too. So, and, and I just look at it, I basically anymore consider the conference championship games. I mean, to me, that's the regular season. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's part of the regular season. So... As it stands, as it stands, we are, I don't have that countdown clock right in front of me, but we're at probably, what, 48 hours, maybe like 48 hours and 11 minutes from kickoff of week eight of college football. Michael Penix is the current odds-on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy at minus 145. Now, these are according to BetMGM. Which means you can, you can probably what between BetMGM, DraftKings, FanDuel, whomever else you always, you always have like different odds, but minus one forty five for Penix, JJ McCarthy and Dylan Gabriel are the second pick now at plus one thousand, followed by Jordan Travis at plus thirteen hundred along with Jaden Daniels. There's Drake May at plus fourteen hundred. While other contenders include Bo Nix, Carson Beck, and Blake Horn. Any of those numbers surprise you at all? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. J.J. McCarthy, uh, yeah, if, if he plays well and they beat Penn State and Ohio State again, he plays great in those games, he's definitely going to be in the conversation. But oh, yeah. right now it's definitely Penix's award to lose. Agreed. Did you say Gunny is on hold? 
I did, but shouldn't we break and give him a full run now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever – I don't know if Gunny's ever called the show. So let's make sure we give him plenty of time next right here on The Ref. Excited about this. Gunny, Gunny of Stutzman's Army, welcome to the show. What's going on, Gunny? I just want to start out by saying top of the morning to you there, Mr. Blank and Mr. Lelmer. <laughs> top of the morning to you, Gunny. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Uh, you know, earlier you was talking about uh, Josh needs to cut you off midstream. Mm-hmm. Well, there's never cut, you know, don't cut it off midstream. And if Ghostbusters taught me anything, you never cross the streams. Good point. That's, that's a good <laughs> lesson from, from Ghostbusters, no doubt. Very dangerous, very dangerous if you do, right? I want to talk about the special teams a little bit. Okay. If, if you look at the numbers, special teams hasn't been terrible. There's been a few plays that makes it look terrible, though. You know? Here was, but, no, just, here was my point on it, Gunny. Here was my point on it. I agree with you. I don't think special teams have been terrible. The problem is in the biggest moment, it didn't. It wasn't automatic, right? And you have the struggles with pump protection, and you have the struggles with, you know, falling for the fake and things, which happens, right? But that's why I think you're seeing more outrage about it because in those big moments, it hasn't been very good. If Jonah Laulu does his job on the punt protect, we're having right. a much different conversation, even with the missed field goal. Yep, I agree. One hundred percent agree. My right, buddy, Gunny. It's great to actually hear your voice. Am I going to see you early Saturday morning, or are you going to get some rest? Uh, I'll probably be asleep until about game time. <laughs> I love it. Gunny, uh, it, is, it is great to hear from you this morning. You're like a mythical figure. It's, uh, that's right. It's nice to hear from you. It's like to hear your voice. He's <laughs> an actual person. <laughs> right? We'll see you, dude. Thanks see you, buddy. Have a good one. Yeah. Have a good day, guys. Yeah, Gunny's real. He's a real person. It makes you know. It's it makes you wonder, right? But uh, he he is in fact a real person. He's not. You know, nine out of ten times. I just want to tell you something. Uh, by the for those of you that have the anonymous personalities on Twitter, like Red Dirt Sports, Tattoo Baker, and others, you have no idea how many times I hear people like, "Who the heck do you think that is? Who is that? <laughs> yeah, who is who that person? Doing that? Who's doing that? Well, now you know that Gunny is not just a creation of the ref. He's a real person. I love him to death. And he's a great We got to hang out sometime, Gunny. Now, I might need about a month off after we do, but we need to hang out sometime. All right, quick break. When we come back, I got the top five stories of the day laid out, including a little bit from Porter Moser and what was a fairly explosive Big 12 Media Day for information yesterday. It's a blank show live from Cavens Disaster Response Group on the ref.